Well, last Sunday, we talked about the whole idea of standing in the gap. And uh, if you are reading along in our one-year chronological Bible, and I hope you are, then this past week you will have read a couple great examples out of the book of Amos of standing in the gap. Check this out. Out of the book of Amos, Amos 7, 1 to 3, the sovereign Lord showed me a vision. I saw him preparing to send a vast swarm of locusts over the land. This was after the king's share had been harvested from the fields and as the main crop was coming up. In my vision, the locusts ate every green plant in sight. Then I said, oh, sovereign Lord, please forgive us or we will not survive for Israel's so small. So the Lord relented from this plan. I will not do it, he said. And then it, ha it happens all over again. It comes again. Look at this. Then the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish his people with a great fire. The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring the entire land. Then I said, oh, sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive for Israel is so small. There he is standing in the gap, interceding uh, for Israel. Then the Lord relented from this plan too. I will not do that either, said the sovereign Lord. So a, a picture of both of standing in the gap, interceding uh, for someone, intervening in order to avert God's wrath and judgment, but also a picture of God's grace. He is slow to anger, but also quick with grace and forgiveness. Uh, and, and that is good news for us, and we are thankful for it. Well, we have officially entered the prophet's this past week in our reading, we read the book of Amos, and we got started into Isaiah. I think Hosea is coming up today and this week, and, um, and so we're going to talk about the prophets this summer, because there's a lot more of reading in the prophets. We're going to be in the prophets a lot here in our reading, and the prophets are not the easiest part of the Bible to understand. It can be challenging. And so we've decided this summer to do our sermon series kind of on themes in the prophets. And so we're going to get started today with kind of an introduction and overview of the prophets. And you will discover that the prophets, although they can seem a little bizarre, a little outlandish, a little weird, are also incredibly relevant, incredibly relevant to our lives today. So let's uh, jump in, and I'm just going to um, kind of talk about major themes in the prophets and use the book of Amos, since we read it this last week, uh, as an example of these things. So let's start. Who were the prophets? Who were the prophets? Now, there are several ways to think about uh, what a prophet was and who these prophets were, but basically, if you just reduce it to its bare minimum, a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of another. Think of the role of a press secretary or an ambassador. They don't speak for themselves. They speak for the person whom they are representing. Um, you, you actually think of Aaron. Aaron kind of functioned like a prophet for Moses in that he was the mouthpiece for Moses. He spoke for Moses. Of course, Moses himself was maybe the greatest of all prophets himself who uh, spoke with God and then to the people. So they were spokespersons for God. They were God's mouthpiece to his people, speaking God's very words 
This is what Yahweh says. This is what the Lord says, communicating God's message, God's words to his people. But the thing about the prophets is that it was more than just information and content about, uh, from God. They also communicated God's heart, his reactions, his feelings, his desires. In the prophets, God kind of pours out his guts to his people, you know, bearing his soul, if you will, communicating his anguished heart, his saddened heart over the spiritual adultery of his people, the way they so easily abandon him and are unfaithful and go after other gods and forsake his ways to their own detriment. Do you want to know God's heart, how God thinks and feels? Well, the best place to look is the person of Jesus Christ. But don't forget the prophets. The prophets are a window into the mind and heart of God. And it's raw and it's real and it's dynamic and it can grab our hearts if we're willing to look. I I like to read um, the prophets because they scare me. And sometimes it's healthy to be scared. Sometimes it's good for you to uh, learn a little fear of the Lord. Uh, But it's not just that. That's just one side of it. And that's a good part of it. But even more important than this kind of sense of, whoa, I better take God seriously when you read the prophets, is also to see God's heart, his heart that pursues, his heart that, that persistently calls people to repentance, his deep, deep desire for his people to know the goodness of who he is, that this is what drives him. And, and we see this heart, and it's a heart filled with goodness and grace. He desperately wants his people to know him and and to choose him and know the goodness of living in relationship with him and according to his good ways. Now, we we often have a distorted or one-dimensional, really, view of the prophets. They kind of like, this is what we think. Of course, usually we think of a guy in a kind of a robe and a beard, you know, big, long beard. But the end is near. Kind of a one-string guitar. You know, uh, and always focused on the future. And of course, you know, we call them prophets and they do prophesy, but, but that's really not uh, the full picture at all of who the prophets are. They, they do, of course, predict uh, judgment and restoration, but the bulk of the prophets, the main emphasis of the prophets is proclamation, is proclaiming the truth of God and who he is and what he's like and what he calls us to. Um, It's proclaiming truth more than predicting the future. So I think uh, Tiberius Ratza likes to say um, it's about forth-telling, not foretelling. Forth-telling the truth of who God is and what he is like. Uh, The prophets ask a lot of questions that are very contemporary. They ask questions like, where, where are you, God? You seem very distant and absent. Where are you, God? Why aren't you acting? Why, why do you allow evil to succeed and evil people to succeed? 
when are you gonna when are you gonna act and set things straight and and fix this messed up world why is it taking so long these are questions that might run through our minds and here's the cool thing about the prophets is god talks back right the prophets are his spokesmen and so he talks through them they may ask questions but he's going to answer he's going to answer from his heart and from his gut and, and give a real raw answer to these accusations. And so uh, we, we get a lot of good information about God, his nature and his character uh, from the prophets. Here's just a little snippet out of Amos that I like. For the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains, stirs up the winds and reveals his thoughts to mankind. He turns the light of dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth the Lord God of heaven's armies is his name. Now, I, 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 part of why I like the prophets is just the language. There's some beautiful language in the prophets. It's compelling. It, it creates all kinds of pictures in your minds. And of course, this is, this is wanting us to think about God. And, and you, can, you can squeeze all kinds of truths about God's character and nature from even this beautiful little paragraph that he's the creator and sustainer of the universe and that he is sovereign and omnipotent but the part that i like there is it says he reveals his thoughts to mankind he re this is what makes our god unique is that he speaks he doesn't hide instead he makes himself known he reveals himself he communicates and he does that through the prophets and of course other religions of the time had prophets but they had to decipher God's thoughts by reading the entrails of goats or, or, or lining up the stars. And, and it was all kind of guesswork, right? It was all very mystical. Uh, how do the, the gods of the nations communicate? Well, it's just downright weird. <clears throat> but God, our God, the one true God, Yahweh, he communicates directly through his prophets to his people. He reveals himself. Just another, just another proof that he is, in fact, the one true God. Well, if anything, the prophets are not boring. All right? They are not boring at all. And the prophets are full of, well, you think of Bruce Barlow is our king of visual aids, right? You know, he's always got a visual. The prophets were the... the the supreme uh, users of visual aids and word pictures and sign acts. I remember we did a, a series in Jeremiah years ago, and I always remember it because um, <clears throat> I got to, to take a clay pot and smash it on stage, and the pieces went flying everywhere, you know. And that was a lot of fun. But that was a, that was a visual aid right out of uh, Jeremiah. Uh, which we reenacted. And of course, there's Isaiah who walked around naked and barefoot for three years, which we won't reenact. Okay, that's, that is not going to happen, right? But, but it does get your attention. And that's what God was doing, by the way, through these prophets. He's trying to get the attention of his people. Hey, wake up. Listen. Look. Pay attention. Uh, I, I, want, I want you to hear. Hosea, we started to read Hosea, he married a prostitute and then, then pursued her after she was unfaithful. 
Ezekiel baked bread over human waste and did not publicly mourn at the death of his wife. And these are all acts that had symbolic meaning that were pointing to truths about God and his relationship with his people. There are all kinds of um, sticky word pictures in the prophets. Uh, one, of the, one of the best ones uh, in Amos, I think, is this idea of a famine for the word of the Lord. Um, in uh, Amos chapter 8, <clears throat> we read, The time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. And those who swear by the shameful idols of Samaria, who take oaths in the name of the God of Dan and make vows in the name of God of Beersheba, they will all fall down never to rise again. This word picture of a famine for the word of the Lord. God speaks through his prophets, listen to him, but a day is coming when, there, when he won't. Now, today we, we have such a plethora of resources related to the Bible. You know, in America, we're experiencing something called functional illiteracy. That is, kids are taught to read in school, but they don't. They don't read. They never read. It's, it's all visual uh, stuff with like, you know, on, on screens. And so there's, there's a functional illiteracy. Well, uh, the sad truth is, although we have a, you know, an endless amount of resources uh, related to the Bible and God's word, sometimes there's a, there's a functional famine for the word of God because we're not pursuing it with hunger and thirst. And the word picture there is to call us to have a thirst and hunger for the word of God. Remember what Jesus said when he was tempted. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That what really nourishes our heart and our soul is God's word. So the prophet is full of all kinds of word pictures. If we take a moment to think about and dwell on, can impact, impact us. The prophets were also seers, S-E-E-R-S. -E -E they, they saw things that other people didn't see. And, of course, they could see what was coming down the pike. And that's because God told them. Uh, here we see uh, God saying, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plan to his servants, the prophets. God's going to communicate what he's going to do, and he's going he's to tell us through the prophets. And so they are... Seers. All right, that's just a, we could say a whole lot more, but that's a very basic, and we're going to continue to talk about this as we go through the prophets, but who the prophets are, they, they are spokespersons for God, revealing God's heart and mind, revealing the words of the Lord. Uh, there's a pattern in the prophets that I want us to pick up on. There's a pattern in the prophets and one reason, actually, that many people find the prophets hard to read is that it, they feel a bit redundant. They can feel a little bit repetitive. It's like, where have I read this before? Yeah, just two chapters ago. And yeah, again, all right, is it the same message over and over again? Uh, some people say, hey, this is the message of the prophets. 
it's going to get bad, really bad, and then it's going to get much better. Okay, now that is terribly reductionistic, I know, but you, you kind of get that feeling sometimes when you're reading the prophets that you're just getting the same message over and over again. Of course, uh, that's part of God's grace and goodness. Well, one reason he has to be repetitive is because people aren't responsive, all right? And so he tries all kinds of different ways with the same message to try to get people to respond. But there is a pattern, and it is important to kind of kind of check to recognize it as we go through. And in some books, the smaller one, it may just be the pattern one time, uh, kind of Amos is a bit like this, but in longer books like Isaiah and Jeremiah, this pattern will get repeated and repeated and repeated within a book. So here's, here's the pattern. Uh, we'll give them all P words. You have them in your outline. Prosecute, persuade, predict. Prosecute, persuade, predict. Let me flesh that out a bit for you, unpack that a bit. So you'll find uh, in all the prophets indictment oracles, indictments, uh, because the, the prophets acted as covenant lawyers. Think, think of them as uh, district attorneys or attorney generals of the covenant community. All right, they're going to ap apply the law. And the first thing they do is prosecution. They're gonna indict people and groups of people when they are um, disobeying the covenant, when they are going against the covenant. So they prosecute. How do they do that? They prosecute by exposing the people's sin and rebellion and letting them know what the consequences for that sin and rebellion are, kind of applying the law. So think, think of it this way, uh, the, the covenant that Israel had with God, God, God spoke, he revealed his law to Moses, Moses, Moses gave that to the people. So God's word was revealed. And you had two options. You could believe in God, trust in God, and receive and accept his word, submit to it and obey it. Kind of evidence that you believed God was to obey his word, to respond in obedience, and then there would be blessing. There would be blessing for trusting in God obeying, blessing, all kinds of blessings were promised. But there was another response, and that is to reject. Instead of receiving the word, reject the word, disbelieve, distrust God, and that would be evidenced by disobedience. Their, their lack of faith would be evidenced by disobedience, and that would result in cursing. In other words, things would not go well for the people. And the prophets come into the picture and say, hey, wait, stop. Listen, folks, you're on the wrong side of this equation. You are way over here. Watch out because the cursings are coming. And please come back and go in the other direction. You are breaking the covenant and you're on the wrong side. So come back, come back. And, and this is, so this is, the, this is the prosecutorial role of the prophets warning people. Now, at the beginning of Amos, we have um, eight, eight of these indictment oracles in the first couple of chapters. And they, they look kind of like this. Uh, 
because the, the phrase is repeated eight times. This is what the Lord says, the people of, and then, you know, you can fill in the blank here, um, the people of Damascus, of Gaza, of Tyre, the people of Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah, and Israel, okay, uh, have sinned again and again, repeatedly sinned in rebellion, and I will not let them go unpunished. So God announces through the prophets this indictment that the people have continually rebelled against him and punishment's on its way. And, and kind of a summary of that for the people of Israel is, my people have forgotten how to do right, says the Lord. They have forgotten, and of course that's forgetting me, God is saying. They've forgotten to do what is right because they've abandoned and been unfaithful to me. And so th that's uh, indictment oracles. <clears throat> now, uh, we'll see this as we go through the prophets, that there are three major areas where the, the people receive these indictment oracles, three major areas, idolatry, injustice, and religious ritualism. So the, the first area where they are uh, prosecuted, they're, they're indicted, is for idolatry. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're giving sermons to all of these because these are, are all still relevant issues today. But the first one is idolatry. And uh, th the problem here, of course, is that the people have rejected the one true God who with great power um, freed them from bondage in Egypt and brought them to the promised land, and now they have rejected him. And they've gone after other gods, the gods of the, of the Canaanites, the nations around them. And so this is the idolatry that they're being indicted for. And God saw this idolatry as spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness. That, um, that there, there was, he took it personally, uh, that they had rejected him and the relationship they had offered them. Now, this idolatry obviously uh, involved literally worshiping idols of stone and wood and gold and silver or whatever, the, the gods of the nations who were not gods at all. But this idolatry also included the kinds of idolatry that tempt our hearts today. We, we may, may not be tempted to bow down to a literal physical idol, but, but look at this passage here. What sorrow awaits you who lounge in luxury in Jerusalem and you who feel secure in Samaria? You are famous and popular in Israel, and people go to you for help. You push away every thought of coming disaster, but your actions only bring the day of judgment closer. Look at those words. Enjoying luxury, your security, uh, fame, and popularity. That's, that's what you guys are living for. That's, that's what you're going for. That's your God, are these things. He goes on. How terrible for you who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on your couches eating the meat of tender lambs from the flock and of choice calves fattened in the stall. You sing trivial songs to the sound of the harp and fancy yourselves to be great musicians like David. You drink wine by the bowlful and perfume yourselves with fragrant lotions. You care nothing about the ruin of your nation. I despise the arrogance of Israel. The, the pride and arrogance of Israel. You're just living selfishly for yourselves and you don't care about other people in the nation. That's your idolatry. Uh-oh, 
ouch, now you're stepping on my toes. So uh, that's one area that the people get indicted for is idolatry. A second area, oh, well, what is that all about? It's about affluence, self-sufficiency, pride, and a false sense of security. Thinking we can do this without God. I can do this without God. The second area that they're indicted for is injustice. Look at this verse from Amos. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. <clears throat> well, I could give you a lot of verses on uh, this topic. I, you know, justice is a big topic nowadays. We hear about it a lot, don't we? Um, so people love to talk about justice, but my sense is that oftentimes uh, today's sense of justice is a bit distorted because it's rooted not in the righteousness of God, but in self-righteousness. I, I, I want to be seen as moral and good, and so I'm going to prove it by doing this. Whereas the justice that God is seeking for is rooted in the righteousness of God. Because God himself is a just God, his people should pursue justice and fairness. And righteousness is right living. And, uh, and so, well, justice, though, is an important topic. Just because it's distorted in our culture at times doesn't mean that it shouldn't be a priority for God's people to pursue justice because God himself is just. We'll talk more about that. The final area, uh, major area where the people are indicted is religious ritualism. Look what God says to the people through Amos. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. God rejected their worship, their praise music, their giving. Why? Why? Well, because the words are there. It was, it was hypocritical. It was just a show. It, their hearts weren't in it. They were, they were checking the boxes, but their hearts and their minds, their loves were somewhere else. And he says, if this is the kind of worship that I really accept, that I want, we read it in the next verses. And these may be the most famous verses out, verse out of Amos. Instead, in, instead of your shallow, meaningless, hypocritical worship, where your hearts aren't in it, if your hearts were really in it, if you really knew and worshiped me, this is what you would do. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. This, this is the worship that really honors me and pleases me, is pursuing justice and righteousness. Okay, we're going to talk more about all of that in upcoming weeks. I, I do just, it just is a challenge to me to remember that the true worship that pleases God, it isn't necessarily what happens right now. This is good, and it's important, and it's valuable, but it's how I live tomorrow and how I treat people on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That is the, the worship of God. All right, so the first, the first part of the pattern is to um, uh, prosecute. 
The second one is to persuade. To persuade. First prosecute and then persuade. And that's, to, that's urging people to avert judgment from sin um, by coming back in faith to God and obeying him. And these are wonderful verses from Amos. Look what Amos writes. Come back to me and live. Come back to me and live. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. God pleads and urges and calls to the prophets, please come back to me. I want to give you life, real life, lasting life, eternal life, the good life of knowing the goodness of who God is. And so he urges and he pleads and he does it relentlessly and persistently. And he's slow to anger, slow to anger. Uh, Amos's ministry to the northern tribes of Israel was around 750 B.C., and it wasn't until almost 30 years later that the Assyrians attacked and conquered uh, Israel. And it was 160-some years later that, it, that the judgment came down on Judah. And so God is slow to anger. He, he spends much time urging, urging, and calling for us to come to him. Turn back to God now. All right, that's persuade. And the final one, so there's, there's prosecute, persuade, that's the second part of the pattern, and the third part of the pattern is predict. Of course, we have to talk about prediction because uh, God does announce future things through his prophets. And it can be challenging because sometimes things are predicted which have a near and partial or incomplete fulfillment, and uh, that same thing will have a distant, far and future complete and full fulfillment. And um, so, so some of the things that are prophesied have already had a partial fulfillment, but are even now yet future, yet future ahead of us. And uh, two, two things are predicted. One is judgment, and the other is restoration. And the judgment is very clear. It's, it's not hard to figure out. In Amos, uh, Amos says, God, Yahweh, is saying Jeroboam, that's the king of Israel, will soon be killed, and the people of Israel will be sent away into exile. Here's what it is. Here's the judgment. You're going to be taken into exile by, by Assyria. And that's exactly what happened. So that's very concrete and specific. But there are other passages that talk about the day of the Lord, which is a day of judgment. And th that day is so severe, and the way it is described is so dark and ominous, that you sense that this is still... To the full, the full fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of it is still future. But listen, if you're, you're kind of bummed out by this sermon, you know, like, oh, really, we're going to be in this for the next few weeks? Uh, <laughs> if, if it ended there, if that's all there was, it would be really devastating to read the prophets. But here's the great thing about the prophets. The prediction always goes a step further, and it goes to hope and restoration God's a God of grace, and he's going to fulfill his promises to his people. And so uh, he promises restoration. And Amos, which, um, you know, is filled with this indictment, these indictment oracles and this prediction of judgment, ends this way. This is the beautiful ending to Amos. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David, which is a, uh, uh, a little bit of a... Of a 
connection to the Davidic covenant where God promised that one of David's descendants would rule forever over an eternal kingdom. We're talking about the Messiah here. Um, that, by the way, the whole topic of Messiah is a huge topic in the prophets, and uh, we're, we're going to want to uh, spend at least one Sunday talking about that, Messiah in the prophets. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken and he will do these things. Look at that. All, all the nations. That's another topic. Is Surprisingly, not only are other nations judged, not just Israel and Judah, in the prophets, but they're also called. We're going to get to Jonah, right? Where we, we recognize in the prophets that God's heart is for all nations, and he has a purpose in the future for all nations, including us, right? And then it ends this way. <clears throat> the time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. I'm trying to picture that, you know? Just, I pick it, and boom, it's there again. I wish that would happen with my tomatoes. <laughs> then... Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands, and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. A picture of restoration, of the fact that God wants to pour out his blessing and his goodness on his people. But there is, and, and that's a remnant of faithful who trust in him. Let's be a part of that remnant of people. All right, let's finish this way. Uh, Quickly answering these questions, why don't we like reading the prophets? Why don't we like reading the prophets? Well, there's a lot of, of talk about sin and judgment, and it's kind of unrelenting, and it makes us feel uncomfortable. On this side of the cross, we tend to emphasize grace, which is great and good, but uh, it's also good to understand uh, God's heart in response to sin. Um, why don't we like reading the prophets? Well, they get to be repetitive and redundant, but again, that's because God is continuing to speak and looking for a response. One thing that drives me nuts about the prophets is when they predict something, it's hard, you know, I always want to know exactly, um, okay, what's it talking about? When is it? When is this going to happen and take place? But it's hard sometimes to know when he's, when he's talking about just the return of the people from exile, or is he actually, does that, is he actually talking about Christ's coming or is he talking about Christ's second coming in the millennium? Or is he talking about the eternal state? Ah, oh, I can't figure it all out. Because, and I don't, I'm in good company, right? Because if anybody says they have, don't trust him, all right? Uh, prophecy is best understood backwards. In other words, once it's happened. <laughs> so if it's happened, we can say, ah, that's what, okay, he prophesied it and it happened. But there's a lot that still has yet to happen and it's hard to understand it all. Um, so why do we need to read the prophets? Why do we need to read them? Well, uh, I, I think that we need to take God seriously, not to take him lightly. And like I said before, reading the prophets instills in us a, a healthy fear and respect and awe and reverence for God. It's a great cure for grace abuse. The I can have my cake and eat it too attitude towards sin. Isn't it great? I can be forgiven and sin. Wait, I don't think that's the gospel. 
I think uh, reading the prophets is important because we learn about God's perspective. We are so soaked in humanistic human perspective. We're bombarded with it. We see out of human eyes, and we desperately need something to give us God's perspective. And the prophets help us get God's perspective on things. Instead of being man-centered, it helps us become God-centered. And finally, grace. Some people would say, well, where's the grace? Grace? Are you kidding me? The prophets are filled with God's grace. First of all, God's patience, his patience with his people. The fact that God pours out his heart, urging his people to choose him and live. That's God's grace that he does that. And God gives second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances before judgment comes down. He is slow to anger and to judgment. He does not. There's a passage in Ezekiel where he says, do you think I like to judge the wicked? I don't. I would much rather they turn to me and live. That's my heart. That's God's heart. It's filled with grace. He is ready, ready to uh, receive and to forgive and to restore. And, and the promises throughout of sending a Messiah and of restoring and, and the beautiful pictures of what he wants for his people to give us new hearts and a new spirit and a new covenant and where there's life breathed in, his life, eternal life. It's his mercy and goodness that leads us to repentance. Here's the call from Amos, though, that we need to hear. Come to me and live. Come to me and live. That, that phrase echoes down through scriptures. Come to me and live. It's actually in the very last chapter of the Bible. We read this in Revelation chapter 22. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Come to me, Jesus says, and live. He said it directly, Jesus did, in John 7. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink living water. Come and live. That's the invitation. We're going to end uh, this morning by taking the bread and cup, and I invite the worship team and also those who are going to um, dispense the bread and cup are coming forward. <clears throat> when we celebrate bread and cup, we are in essence coming to Jesus and saying, you are my source of life. I come to you to live. I recognize that your sacrifice, your body and your blood in my place for me is, is the absolute foundation for life. And so I come to you. And so we're going to take the bread and cup this morning. And as we take the bread and cup, what, what are we affirming? We're affirming our faith that Jesus gave his body and shed his blood, dying in our place so that God can justly forgive us and make us right with him today. Our foundation, our assurance, our confidence in his grace and goodness and forgiveness is in what Jesus did for us. What are we doing? We are thanking him for giving himself as our atoning sacrifice. We are committing ourselves again to living in the freedom and identity he purchased for us. We are acknowledging our love for him and our complete dependence on him. 
If this is what you want to confess and profess, then I invite you to take the bread and the cup. You don't have to. You're welcome to um, observe or pray quietly. That's fine. But for those who want to participate, we're going to sing together and the bread and the cup will be distributed and then we will take that together.